With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. I was never able to get representation. They told me your accent, Lorraine, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen for you. And it will never happen for you. You know, without representation, I was still able to have a cooking show. I mean, I had endorsements, I had my restaurant. So that didn't stop me from doing what I was doing. Lorena Garcia is everywhere. With the opening of her restaurant, Chica, she became the first Latina executive chef on the Las Vegas Strip. She has airport spots in Dallas, Miami, and Atlanta, multiple cookbooks, and a cookware line. Lorena is often called a celebrity chef, but she insists that her success requires never straying too far from the kitchen. I'm Alicia Menendez, and this is Latina to Latina. Lorena, I love that I walked into this Miami studio and I found you closing a deal on the couch on your cell phone. <laughs> Do you ever stop? No. <laughs> That's funny, but true. It's one of those things that, no, you, you never stop. You're kind of connected 24 hours and you got to be on top of it. Even when you have a team? Even when you have a team, yes. Okay, when was the last time you let someone cook for you? Oh, well, you know, it's funny, that question, because it's not that I let somebody cook for me. Let me put it to you this way. I mean, usually the dynamics in my house, I have my family and friends, we're coming over. This has happened plenty of time in which, you know, we're planning where to go and eat. They see me with poppy eyes. Lorena, we're feeling that, you know, we really <laughs> want to eat this. You know, many, plenty of time they show up with the groceries and I end up in the kitchen. They're just lucky that I like it <laughs> as much as I do. So I'm like, okay, guys, let's probably will eat better anyway. So <laughs> yeah. I've always wanted a doctor in my family so I could just have someone to call and say, like, I, there's, my kid has a rash, but a chef in the family. My husband jokes that everything I cook has lemon, salt, and avocado, and that that's my way of saving any dish. Do you have ingredients that you return to over I and think over? You name fat, you name an acid. 
you know, and in a saltiness. So those are kind of the real descriptions of flavor, fat, salty, acid, maybe something sweet, creamy. So, you know, you're talking about textures, flavors, contrast, balance. So with those three ingredients that you just mentioned, that's pretty much how it is. You just substitute them for, you know, if you want to have something instead of a lemon, you can have vinegar, you can have an orange. You know what I mean? So you can you can go with that. And now what you could do is just substitute the avocado for something, another thing creamy. And then probably uh, you can use a ricotta cheese. And if you're on a light diet, you can use low fat. And then for acid, you can have as many vinegars and lemons and citrus as you can. Then you have the saltiness. You have capers. You have all this. You have salt. All these things. Anchovies. And then, you know, you can go on the salt, always season well, you know, and, and that's about it. <laughs> all, all of those acids are my favorite. That's why I have no enamel left on my teeth. Because uh-huh. if they're up to me, I would just drink <laughs> drink vinegar. <laughs> it kills it, yeah. Who was the first person to teach you how to cook? My mother. When I was little, six years old probably, I, I remember seeing my mom my brother, we had, you know, a very small family. And I remember always the arepas, the huevos pericos, my mother's cafecito. I remember when I was like six years old. And this is like my first memories of food. Going into the kitchen, making arepas and bollitos, which is like a little dough wrapped in a, in a corn husk. And then I open up. Uh, a blanket in the middle of the living room and I call my family and, you know, they love the idea that I made a picnic out of a breakfast, but when they saw the kitchen, they were not very happy. (laughs) (laughs) But I tried. Daisy Auger Dominguez, who's another guest we've had on this program, she talked about the fact that growing up in the Dominican Republic, her grandmother never wanted to let her know how to cook because it was so important to her that Daisy become a career woman. And she saw it as very black and white. If you don't have any of these domestic domestic skills, you'll be forced to become a professional. Did you feel that those domestic skills were emphasized in your home? Not in mine. I think my mother probably had the same type of view in which she wanted me to be an attorney. I went to law school. Uh, And when I told my mother that I was going to go to culinary school and I wanted to be a cook, the poor woman almost died. (laughs) And of course, you know, with a degree, which I gave it to her as a beautiful present. But I said, Mom, this is not what I'm passionate about. She wasn't very happy at the beginning. With that, granted, she's my biggest fan right now. But at the beginning of my career, she didn't understand. How could I live my career of, you know, giving five years of studies to the law, coming here, continue as a paralegal, and and why would I change that? I had some of that, and I think culturally, I mean, to start in Venezuela when I was little, they were not any culinary schools, or you were not able to get a degree in culinary arts. So for her, it was never a relationship of a career. You need a degree. You know how your parents always want you to have a degree. I would say about 50% of our guests are failed lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> that would be me. I'll add me to the family. <laughs> I remember the moment when I was paralegaling and I was sitting in an office and I was surrounded by boxes. I was doing doc review. Yes. And it was just so clear to me that this was not for me, that I liked people too much that I liked being out in the world too much. And to be honest, I wasn't detail-oriented enough mm-hmm. to do what you need to do to be a great attorney in those early days. What was the moment for you when you said, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing? Very vivid and very clearly, I have it. Walking into my first job after graduating, um, I walk into the office to become a paralegal my first day of work. I lasted like about 20 minutes. <laughs> and then I I went back to my supervisor and I said, I'm I'm going to apologize profusely for, you know, 
for what I'm going to say, and this has been a wonderful opportunity to have, uh, you know, a job for probably for many others, a dream come true in one of the f biggest law firms here in Miami in downtown. But I'm going to have to leave. Just the fact of being in the room with so many books going almost to the ceiling and, and you know, and exactly what you say, I, I was more of a people person, but not necessarily in the law. And I quit the same day. <laughs> that is so decisive. It was. I but mean, it was almost like I had to do it. It's, I, I, I had a mini panic attack almost of thinking that I knew instantly that was not for me. Instantly. It's incredible. And was it clear in that moment what you were supposed to do? Yes. 100%. My hobby became what I love. What did you learn at Johnson Wales that you did not know before you went? Why do you do the things that you do in the kitchen? Principles. They taught me the respect for my jacket, my chef jacket, believe it or not. I feel something, almost like you go into the army when you wear your uniform. If I go back and I think about Johnson & Wales University, it's that respect when you wear your chef jacket, your apron, your nails, your hair. Everything has to be done in a specific way because it's a respect to the ingredients that somebody's going to actually eat. So all that protocol that comes before you walk into the kitchen, I feel it instantly when I'm closing my jacket down. Besides the principles of techniques that you have to know in order to mix it with your culture, your troubles, everything that you learn, learn from the best, and then you become who you are as a professional. But those years of knowing why temperatures, why you have to store things specifically in specific ways, and, you know, all these incredible things that happen in, in the university that were so key for me at the beginning. What is the biggest mistake you made as a young chef? Hmm. Probably at the beginning of my career when I entered in the culinary world and going into the university is that thinking probably that what I learned at school was going to be, oh, now I'm ready. And then when I happen again, when I finish my degree in culinary arts, then I went to the real world and I, I said, oh, hold on. So this is, <laughs> this is not three people making a soup. Right. This is you needing to prepare for, you know, what is about to happen, which is a huge chaos. In the kitchen, you need to have control of it. You did a ton of international internships, yeah. Asia, yes. Europe. Why did you return to Latin cuisine? Interesting that you ask me. Nobody has asked me that before. Because I realized, and you know, somebody asked me a question. Okay, if you have a book deal, what would you want to say? Who are you? And it shocked me. Who am I as a chef? Who am I as an artist? I've been in Europe. I put butter on everything <laughs> and cream on everything. I went to Italy, I can make killer pastas, but who am I? Am I that? Or is that what I learned through my experiences? So I need to find out my own voice. And I went back to my roots, to the flavors that I grew up with, to who I am here in the United States. I'm an American that has been living in Miami for so many years, more than the country that saw me be born. So I, I'm exactly that. I'm those all the cultures of Latin America that boil into one which is exactly Miami, and the flavors of Venezuela and the places that I lived in Latin America, like Argentina, spending tons of time in Peru and, of course, the northern part, Colombia, Venezuela. So when you see my food, it's exactly that representation all in one culture. 
a lot of the emphasis in your cooking is on taking traditional dishes and making them healthier or at least health conscious. Yes. Is there something in your personal life or personal experience that has informed that choice? Absolutely. I'm cautious. I'm, I'm cautious when I'm cooking. I got an intervention from my family when I started going to culinary school. I gained about 60 to 75 pounds. Wow. And when my family came in, I, th- I thought that going to culinary school was going to mean also eat everything that you make. That would be my <laughs> approach as well. That's what I did. I ate my first and second year of culinary school. I cooked and I learned, but I ate it all as well. And I, I didn't have that realization. I was totally submerged in that world and, and, and I wanted to taste everything. And that's what happened. My family, my mom said, Lorena, you need to do something about this. And wow, I mean, I've never gone through that before. So you see that kind of stuck to me. I completely changed the way that I was eating, the way that I approach culinary arts, the way that tasting is not the same as eating the entire plate. And just, <laughs> a lesson I am still lesson, trying to yes. learn. <laughs> and when you're in the kitchen, you're exposed to so much food because imagine when I go to Vegas, I have to taste the entire line, all the prep of everything that is being done. So... If you're constantly eating and eating and eating and eating and you're in a restaurant and you're prepping and then you go to restaurants and then, you know, the entire menu is up on the table. So you have to be conscious of what is it that you're taking. What is the power dynamic of being a Latina chef in a professional kitchen? Interesting. Has has gone through different stages. At the beginning, I felt because I was, you know, definitely in the kitchen constantly. And I come from being my own prep cook, my own dishwasher, cooking alone in the kitchen to having a couple of friends in the front of the house to, you know, the operations that I have right now with 150 employees and 14,000 square foot of a restaurant in Las Vegas. It's, it's Huge. massive. Yes. At the beginning, was very much proving myself that I know what I'm talking about and, and leading by example. I think that that was a little bit of a difficult time for me because I think that, you know, Men in the kitchen sometimes have a little bit of a resistance to work for a woman. And, and in the kitchen, in my world, 75 to 85% of, of the people that work in the kitchen are males. So, you know, having that contrast, uh, it was a little bit, at the beginning, a little bit challenging. But you need to become a master in what you do. Having that realization on my own and not having anybody really to give me that advice kind of I relate that to being a Latina. It was more of an accent. It was more of an obstacle in the opportunities that I was seeking, trying to be on television and the dream of being on Food Network. Being a Latina, having my culture and not necessarily being an asset, like probably it is right now that you have an accent. Right. Initially, your accent was a quote-unquote problem. Oh, I mean, it prevented me from many jobs. It prevented me from being represented to having, you know, an agent or a manager that could, you know, lead me in the right direction of doing TV and, and what I wanted to do in the projections of communications, which is another passion that I have. Uh, it was very difficult at the beginning. And when did that flip? You know what? In my career specifically, there was a, a documentary called... Uh, Latinos in America. The CNN or HBO? Yes, CNN. That changed my life. That was a moment in my career that changed my life completely in the direction of, of where I am and who I am today. Soledad O'Brien and her team at CNN at the time, they called me. You know, they've seen what I've been doing in my career and um, they just wanted to follow me and do a documentary about my life. I thought about it long and strong. I'm an extremely private person in my life, and I wasn't sure if I wanted cameras in my house following me to everything that I did and what that would do to my partnerships, to my commitments, having a crew of cameras, you know, following me. But 
I say yes, and I had a final interview with Soledad, and she made a formal invitation to this project that she was doing of picking seven families, being Garcias, and the Garcias in the world, and I happened to be, you know, one of them, and she showed, you know, what a Latina. She called me the Latina Marta Stewart. (laughs) That's some good branding. Imagine if your name had been Lorena Menendez. It wouldn't have happened. You might just be cooking for your friends. Yeah, it wouldn't have happened. And, you know, the next day, my webpage crashed. I had people calling me from all over the world because the in the documentary I showed how difficult it was for me to have an accent and that I, I was never able to get representation uh, in any, you know, of these talent agencies or even going for a TV show in English. Uh, they told me your accent, Lorraine, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen for you. And it will never happen for you. I mean, that was something that it was just, I'm sorry. And I had so many no's and people closing the door on me. I mean, it was just crazy. But that, yeah, that, that that moment specifically is what, when it was shown that me being a Latina was able still to have, you know, without representation, I was still able to have a cooking show. You know, I was on Despierta America every Friday on a live segment. I had endorsements, I had my restaurant. So that didn't stop me from doing what I was doing. And and I think at that moment, the influence of the Latin community in the United States was even bigger and was growing. So it kind of became an asset. If you are as busy as I am, then I have a life hack for you. I've recently been enjoying Green Chef. It's a USDA-certified organic company, and they have a diverse array of meal plans with plenty of options to choose from each week. You can choose paleo, vegan. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swathers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swathers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pampers Swathers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the LA area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? (laughs) They do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. 
vegetarian, pescatarian, mediterranean, heart smart, lean and clean, keto, gluten free, and omnivore. For $50 off your first box of Green Chef, go to greenchef.us slash Latina. Their recipes are quick and easy with step-by-step instructions, chef's tips, and photos to guide you along. This week, I made my husband and kiddo salmon and piccata sauce. It tasted fresh and delicious, and my daughter might have even eaten the sauce with a spoon. Best of all, everything is handpicked and delivered right to your door, so no more decision fatigue. Let Green Chef do the meal planning, grocery shopping, and most of the prep for you. For $50 off your first box of Green Chef, go to greenchef.us slash Latina. 2002, you opened your first restaurant in Miami. Yes. How did you know you were ready? I didn't know I was ready. It was a point in my in my life that I gave so many years already of preparation more more than any. When I felt prepared, that I was able to, you know, do some something small. But I was working eighteen hours a day, you know, standing on my feet, working like crazy at and someone else's restaurant for someone. Yes, yes, always for someone else's restaurants or hotels, or for all families. And then I realized if I'm gonna put this amount of hours. I have to do it for myself. I mean, that is the only way that I'm going to be able to sustain this crazy because if not, I'm going to be burned and I'm going to drop this career in two minutes. And that's when I decided more so for seeing that if I'm going to put this amount of effort, I want to take the risk and do it for my own and my own family. And that's how it started. What did you learn about yourself in the process of opening that first restaurant? That I was very consistent. Consistency. Being consistent is... Not exciting. No. Because that's what you put in your 18 hours cooking, you know, chopping up 3,000 pounds of mushrooms. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're sitting here with me in Miami, and yet you have outposts in Dallas, in Atlanta. You have your big restaurant in Vegas. How, as you're sitting here, do you ensure that restaurants that have your name and image on them, maintain the level of care and hospitality that you want to show guests? 100,000% the team that I have with me. Uh, My job, and I always say, we're all in the same boat. Uh, I have a vision and probably I have the light that is guiding us where we're going. But my partners, uh, the team in each restaurant that I have, uh, one of the most important things for me is to relay the message, the vision, what we represent, what is our voice, what is it that I want to say through our food, through our culture, through our brand. As soon as you walk in any of my restaurants, that is a common thread to who I am, how I grew up, and it's keeping that message present with my entire team that is around me, not only in the immediate surrounds, but everybody that is working in my restaurants have to have. And that is a work that I'm always constant saying it. Like, you know, for my three-year-old, I am always have to constantly tell him, this, this is how you grab your fork with, with your team. It's exactly the same way. You have to be constantly training them, communicating that vision constantly. How much of that is about getting the right people from the start and how much of it is about grooming those people? Both. Same thing. You have to have the right people that believe in your message and they have some kind of um, relationship with, they want to be there. I always say that I only want to do business with people that wants to be with me. I don't want to convince any, anybody. I, I, you know what we represent. This is who we are. Do you feel that you have that connection with me or not? How much of your staff at Chica is Latino? Oh, for sure, for sure, for sure. Over 75%. <laughs> and so when you were in the kitchen, do you speak Spanish or English with them? 
I mostly speak Spanish. Um, actually, sometimes the ones that speak English, they look at me and they said, uh, you've been speaking Spanish for the last five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand what you're saying. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Let me switch. <laughs> everybody speaks Everybody speaks English, you know, and, and that's the language. English, of course, is the language that I use officially everywhere I go. And when I'm addressing the entire team, of course, it's English. But, you know, when we're in one-to-one and I'm in the kitchen and I'm with my crew, uh, you know, my executive chef in Chica is Puerto Rican. So this is Spanish. <laughs> and I guess it, you know, it just comes easier. That just must feel so nice. I mean, for me as a dominant English speaker, it's just, it's a relief when I get to speak the language that is easiest for me, mm-hmm. especially when I'm communicating on something very technical. Yes. Like I remember going on cable during the healthcare debate. I was talking to somebody else and I was like, I wouldn't know how to say any of this in Spanish. I barely know how to say these things in English, right? <laughs> like healthcare exchange. Like I, that doesn't translate. You're right. You have built an empire. How does being in the kitchen compare to being in the room where decisions are made about franchising, expanding and building an empire? I would say that very relatable because in my kitchen, you have to be assertive but accessible. You got to pay attention to detail, but also seeing the bigger picture. And that is exactly what happens when you can be sitting in front of mega executive, either television or opening, you know, new restaurants or going to a location or just having a, you know, a commitment. It's it's exactly, it's, it's being accessible and staying true to who you are. That's always what I try to do. When I do my auditions for different television shows that I've been many incredible networks, you're going to get Lorena Garcia, always. No matter if we're on television, if we're sitting, you and me here together having a conversation, being in the most incredible setting. Uh, so it's, it's all of that. It's a strange to yourself and, and, you know, keeping things serious and in perspective. You have a book called Lorena Garcia's New Taco Classics, which you've described as the Bible for tacos. Can a Venezuelan write the Bible for tacos? 100%. And I think why, I'm going to tell you why, because I think tacos is so much more than what the actual Mexican taco represents. And I think that, you know, when you think about burgers, pizzas and tacos, those are the three carriers that everyone in the world knows. So I figured, what a great way of what a taco represents. A taco represents a vehicle, almost like a carrier to, in this case, of course, Mexican cuisine. But again, Mexican cuisine, when I see it, is almost like the world patrimony of Latin cuisine. So it's a perfect introduction to all the cultures that I represent and who I am. Like I said, you know, I have tons of influences from Mexico. And then I figured, why not to put a taco in the sense of the meaning of a taco, not so much in the translation of the world and what, and what it is in Mexican cuisine, is that carrier of a street food that I can put it in so many places. Because if you think about the empanadas in Argentina, or if you think about the arepas in Venezuela, it's the same idea. It's that carrier that you just grab your culture and you just, with your hands, and you just grab it. What have you sacrificed to have what you have? Oof. A lot of time with my family. I think that would be the most. I have sacrificed a lot, a lot of time with my family. And, you know, we make it happen. If I have to travel for more than a week, I bring my family with me. I don't like to, you know, be away from my son too long. But I also don't want to mess up with his dynamic at school. You know, it's, it's all balance. It's, it's just trying to have balance. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> it is a challenge. You've been on a ton of TV shows. I think most notably Top Chef Masters. What is that actually like? I mean, I've done TV, but food TV is its own beast. Yeah. 
Top Chef Masters also represented a milestone in my life because, of course, gave me the notoriety that everybody kind of, oh, everybody knows who Lorena Garcia is. It is extremely hard, probably one of the hardest things that I've done in my life. I will go to bed crying, saying, well, what am I doing? It, it, it will be no days off. I, You know, I did really well. I made it to the semifinals, and, um, you know, it was 18 sometimes 20 hours I will sleep three four hours and then the next day no they saw for two months cooking in the most incredible challenges 300 people you have 30 dollars and 20 minutes to cook <laughs> <laughs> and by yourself good luck and then in the middle of it they switch oh you're not gonna make Mexican you're gonna make Indian right now <laughs> you're like but I have no ghee <laughs> yeah, exactly what are you talking about well, with the guacamole you better make some ghee <laughs> so um, you know with that said it shows you what are you made of it, show, it shows you what I say. I have the pipes and I have what it takes. I have the paste. After going through an experience like this, no matter in what setting I am and what curveballs are thrown to me, I know that I'm going to be able to maneuver. Maybe it won't be the best results, but I'll be able to sustain myself and maneuver and not necessarily be affected my professionalism or who I am as a chef because I am in a competition show because it's not really the reflection of who you are. It's how you maneuver those situations. And that's what it did to me. I left that show. Even though I suffer so much, I left <laughs> conquering the world. <laughs> Lorena, thank you so much to you for your invitation. It was a pleasure. I love so talking fun. to this you. This was so fun. Anytime. Thanks for joining us today. Latina to Latina was originally co-created with Bustle. Now the podcast is owned and executive produced by Juleka Lentigua-Williams and me. Maria Muriel was the sound designer on this episode. We want to hear from you. Tell us who you want to hear from and how you're making the show a part of your life. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.